You're listening to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode. We're going to be reading from one of Martin Luther's sermons given on the sixth Sunday after the Trinity, now called the sixth Sunday of after Pentecost. The text of which he'll be remarking on is Matthew 5, 20 through 26, and the uh, title of the sermon is The Explanation of the Fifth Commandment. This gospel teaches us the difference between true piety and dissimulation or hypocrisy. And it is one of the best gospels for teaching how our works cannot render us pious. Something higher than anything we could do is required. For the Pharisees also led a pious life. They did what they should externally. They did not break any of the commandments of God. Staying from poverty, not their own. Went about in fine, showy clothes, and hence derived their name being called Pharisees, meaning those set apart or the select. In like manner, he also attacks the scribes, the flower of the Jews, who were so well versed in the law of God and the scriptures as to teach other people, lay down rules for the community, and render decisions in all matters. To sum up, we here have the best, the most learned, the most pious of the Jews. These Christ attacks, whom of all men he should have least attacked. But he says of them to his disciples, Unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall know in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. As though he would say, Behold, the Pharisees, the scribes, lead such a good life that both they and the other people believe they will possess the kingdom, but they are wide of the mark. Therefore he reproved them and says, Verily I say unto you, if you will not be more pious than the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter heaven. Hear the question of those who is disposed, of who ask, What shall we do in order that we may be pious? For here all works that man could do are overthrown, disposed of. The most holy of the sanctimonious are cast to the ground. Hence you cannot do any deed by means of which one may be saved and rescued from sin. If a man now says that, he surely is a heretic they at that time might have said well you are a heretic are you going to reject good deeds he pays no attention to that however but freely concluded that their works are not they might now have said pray if works do not make us holy why have we the law through which we hope to be saved if we live up to it this now christ gives an occasion to introduce the commandments explaining them telling us how they are to be understood he says you have heard that it was said to them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Whoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. These words are too high and too deep for anyone fully to put into practice. To this our Lord not only here testifies, but every man's experience its very emotions. Four points are here pres- presented to wit. Thoughts, demeanor, words, and deeds which no one can avoid, he must be guilty. As though he would say, you might find persons that do not kill with their hands, but to be without hatred, not to be angry, to be of smiling countenance, not to snub persons of such a nature, none is to be found. Experience teaches this. For take a godly man or a godly woman, as long as everybody keeps his distance, peace and harmony prevail. But if one comes along and speaks harshly and possibly, intrudes even to the extent of the smallest word he cannot keep from becoming angry it follows us up by irritating and enraging the offender our reason can never come to the conclusion that we are to be considerate to the wicked peruse all your heathen books enter into your own experience and you will find it so that we cannot 
refrain from becoming angry. If not our friends, then against our enemies. Now God is not satisfied with this, nor can any flesh and blood evade the question, for mark the wording closely when he says, Thou shall not kill. Who is thou? Your hand? No. Your tongue? No. But thou, thou and all that is thee and with thee, thine hand, heart, and thou thoughts shall not kill. Thus Christ interprets the law, saying with authority, Everyone who is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment. This sentence pertains to the whole world. For I ask, who is there on earth that is not a debtor to this commandment? Seeing that we are to comply with it and cannot, what are we to do? For we can never remove the filth. Then despair must be ours. So the commandments of God are but a mirror, wherein we behold our filth and wickedness, for they conclude us all under sin, we being unable to work our way out of our own efforts and free will unless something else comes to our assistance. This is the first point. The Lord continues, Whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, which indicates various manifestations of wrath and hatred, but no one is free from this, for if I am told to be friendly to the person I hate, they can tell it on me that my heart is not in it. For you cannot confine the heart, it will out, and show its presence by signs or words. It does not hide itself, it cannot be hidden. Hence we conclude that we are found guilty of saying raka, that is, not being kind to both friend and foe. Now go to the past experiences and see this in other people, and ask yourself, namely, that no one can deliver himself out of this condition from a wicked heart which is planted so deeply in the nature of man. You may act friendly towards your brother, but if you give him your heart, this you cannot do, though you should rend yourself to pieces. Therefore, no man here can help himself. Following this, he says, Soever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. This too makes you appear as not without the grace of God, for nobody is so fraught and with loving kindness as to never to utter an unseemly word, not to his friends, than his enemies. Even if when you were compelled to speak kindly to your neighbor, your heart is not in it. And whenever you with seeming propriety can do so, you will say, Thou fool. That already is contrary to this commandment, embracing as it does both friend and foe, since it reads, Thy brother. We all, you know, are brethren, descended from one common father. Scripture brings us so closely together as to call us all one flesh. Isaiah 58, 7, When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Here the prophet is speaking of your neighbor. The word fool is to embrace all manner of infamy, cursing, slandering, abuse, judging, maligning, and all reviling. It clearly follows that we are guilty of the commandment, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever is not born again of God cannot abstain from murder. Though he desist from the act itself, he cannot banish thoughts and inclinations. For if our enemy meet with death, we will be ready to say, That served him right. And soldiers compose a song on the enemy they have slain or put to flight. But that again conflicts with this commandment, for God does not look at the outward act, but at the heart. Hence much is contained in the words, thou shalt not kill. It's much to say, you must be born again and become a new creature. So the gospel always reverts to the question, what shall a man do that he may become pious? For pray as long as you will, fast as long as you will, give alms as long as you will, pray for the masses and build churches as many as you will, you will nevertheless still be a murderer, for you hate your brother. Cannot give him a kind look nor a kind word. It follows that your righteousness is not and is of and pertains to perdition. And now we have two more points that are about the severest of proceeding. We read, Therefore thou art offering thy gift at the altar, and there rememberest thy brother have aught against him. Leave 
there the gift before the altar and go thy way first to be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art with him in the way lest happily the adversary deliver thee to the judge and thou be cast into prison fairly i say unto thee thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou have paid the last farthingly. here are two things that go against her nature the first when i am angry my brother is to conciliate me the other, my feelings being hurt, I am to forgive my brother, though he offered no apology. I am to have a kind heart towards him, so he does not deliver me to the judge, as you have just heard. But his last port they formally severed from this gospel, and I hold that Augustine did so in writing, as appears from his book, De Spiritu et Litera. The sense of the passage is as follows. Here are two persons, one Offending is to ask pardon. The other, being offended, is to forgive kindly and willingly, even though he may not be asked to do so. By nature, we can do neither. Our nature may prompt us to go and say, Dear friend, forgive me. But doing this under compulsion and fear of hell and God's wrath, hatred still remains in our heart. On the other hand, the other one that's offended cannot forgive him from his heart. As the one that acts the hypocrite in asking forgiveness, so does the other in granting it. That certainly is of no avail before God, for thus says our text, If thou therefore thou art offering thy gift at the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother have aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, first being reconciled to the brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And, as, and this reconciliation must be proceeded from the heart. Mark well the words of the text. The passage conveys the meaning of that God does not want you to come and serve him without having previously been reconciled with your brother, and come and offer thy gift. As though he said, Behold, man, I have created and redeemed thee. Recognize this has shaped thine whole life towards serving thy neighbor. If not, do not serve me either, for thou wilt not do the one. Serve thy neighbor. Seeing that is needed, you had better not do the other. Serve me, since that is not needed. So God would much rather be deprived of his service than of the service you owe your neighbor, and would sooner see you less stringent in your service towards himself if you are pious at the expense of serving your neighbor. Summing up, God wishes you to see first your neighbor's service and interest. Now, there are many ways of harming our neighbor, as for instance, when I do not protect his reputation being well able to do so. When I am not kind to him or to fail to aid him, I am already his antagonist. So if I want to be agreeable to God, I must in the first place be reconciled to my brother. If not, I cannot be pleasing to him. For God rejects the service rendered him, the service due our neighbors not performed. Now look at the kind of life that we have led here to. We have been going to St. James, to Rome, to Jerusalem, have built churches, paid for masses, and, with, and have forgotten our neighbor. This now is the wrong side up. The Lord, however, here says, Go and take the money with which you were about to build a church and give it to thy neighbor. Look it to your neighbor how you may serve him. It's not a matter of moment to God if you can never build a church for him, as long as you are of service to your neighbor. But all this is now being neglected. On the contrary, it is observed. Oh, the miserable, perverted life that we have learned from the papists. This is why no one wants to enter the married state. For nobody lends him a helping hand, nobody offers him any aid so that he might support himself and get along. Hence it comes to pass that the one turns monk, the other none, the third a priest, the thing that would have indeed obliviate if we would but show works of love. Thus they go long forgetful of maidservants and manservants and finally bequeath a legacy and go to perdition with their legacy. 
It follows that God simply wants you to serve your neighbor, doing your duty to him so that matters are right at first of all between yourself and him, and you be reconciled to him, or God will neither see nor hear you. Furthermore, if my adversary come to me and I am to forgive him willingly, if he does not come, I am still to be conciliatory and kind to him while I am on the way with him in this life so that he does not deliver me to the judge. How does that come about? He does not take me by hand and conduct me to the judge, but when I face judgment, my conscience realizes that it had been unwilling to forgive thy neighbor, entering secret but inveterate hate even. My conscience over against my neighbor delivers me to the judge. He delivers me to the officer, and he in turn casts me into prison, that is to say, into hellfire, till I pay the uttermost farthing, which means forever, for there the liquidation of the debt and deliverance are impossible. Here you see the exalted works that no one can attain, neither by work righteousness nor by the law, for works, if alone, will make hypocrites and dissemblers. The law, if alone, brings forth despair. But what am I to do? Do I hear correctly? I am to be damned? Do as follows, flee to Christ when thus conscious of iniquity, saying, O oh my God, thy law now is a mirror to me, whence I see how perverted and a lost a being I am. O oh God, now save me for thine only begotten Son's sake. Thus, by faith, God gives you the Spirit, who changes your heart, so that you will be very kind to your neighbor. And will argue thus, Behold, if God has acted thus towards me, forgiving me more than I could ever hope to forgive, why should I not be willing to forgive my neighbor a little? I hope you find the sermon well. Thank you so much for listening to Voices of Church Pass. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I love you. May God persevere you steadfast in one true faith given unto the saints. Till one day, brothers and sisters in Christ, we stand before our Lord and Savior Jesus, free from sin, free from death, and in true, perfect unity to worship our God as we ought now. And as you have heard, impossible to do so in this life. But then, then we'll be glorified. Then our sinful nature will be gone. And we'll be able to look at each other and treat each other as we ought to now. How beautiful a picture will that be. God bless.